Welcome to Unsupervised Learning, a security, AI, and meaning-focused podcast that looks at how best to thrive as humans in a post-AI world. It combines original ideas, analysis, and mental models to bring not just the news, but why it matters and how to respond. All right, welcome to episode 387. This is Daniel Meisler. Starting off with security news. CISA director Jen Easterly warned that Chinese hackers are likely to target and disrupt U.S. critical infrastructure, including pipelines and railways, amid rising tensions between the two nations. I love how plainly our government just calls them out on their shit now. This is super refreshing. I love the fact that we're not playing diplomacy anymore because it's so blatant on their side or just telling it how it is. Microsoft researchers have discovered a distinct hacking group within Russian Main Intelligence Directorate, which is GRU, and this one they're calling Cadet Blizzard. And Blizzard is the name they're using for all the different Russian actors because uh, it's cold in Russia. So Cadet Blizzard has been active since at least 2020, focusing on government services, law enforcement, nonprofits, IT service providers, and emergency services. And the group uses a hacktivist front called Free Civilian to publish and share stolen data, including data from Ukrainian government agencies. Chinese state-sponsored group UNC3A86 exploited a zero-day flaw in VMware ESXi host to backdoor Windows and Linux systems. The vulnerability CVE-2023-2867 enabled privileged command execution without authentication and no default logging on guest VMs. U.S. spy agencies buy tons of U.S. citizen data. This one really isn't surprising, but it's a bit disturbing to think about, in my opinion. U.S. spy agencies have been purchasing vast quantities of Americans' personal data, raising privacy concerns as commercially available information, CAI, replicates results of intrusive surveillance techniques. In other words, they're not doing any hacking or doing any crazy surveillance. They're just buying it from companies that do this naturally for their business model inside of the U.S. The report commissioned by the Director of National Intelligence highlights the need for better policies, procedures, and safeguards around the acquisition of such data. And I've been saying for a long time that data brokers are the biggest threat to U.S. citizen privacy, not the dark web or hackers or anything like that. It's data brokers. Got a look here at NVIDIA's red team. They introduce their red team philosophy and framework for assessing machine learning systems from an information security perspective. It's a cross-functional team that combines offensive security professionals and data scientists to identify and mitigate risks in ML systems. The framework aims to provide a foundation for continuous security improvement throughout the ML development lifecycle. And they got a pretty cool graphic here broken down by GRC on the top. Methodology in the middle, which includes recon, model vulnerabilities, technical vulnerabilities, harm and abuse. And then at the bottom, they've got infra, tech stack, and ML dev broken into pre, training time, interference, and post. Um, and working in the AI village right now, this is pretty interesting. I, I like this breakdown quite a bit. 
Chinese espionage group UNC4841 exploited a critical bug in Barracuda's email security gateway devices, stealing data from government and academic accounts since October 2022. Mandian identified the China-based threat group and confirmed that Barracuda has patched the vulnerability and replaced infected devices. I think this is the one where Barracuda was saying, you can't upgrade, you just have to replace the device. I was always wondering if everyone who got that email was like, yep, you're right, I am replacing it, but not with another Barracuda. That's what I would have said anyway. Shell confirmed on Thursday it had been impacted by the Klopp ransomware gang's breach of the Move It IT. Yeah, Move It. Yeah, that's what it's called, not Move IT. Uh, transfer tool. And the group listed the British oil and gas multinational on its extortion site. So this Klopp Move IT situation is starting to look more and more like solar winds, but it's not clear exactly how much that is true. I'm just seeing more and more government organizations, tons of, you know, companies like Shell, for example. Um, I, I think the list is hundreds at this point, if I'm not mistaken. So I'm wondering how similar it is to SolarWinds. I probably should do a deeper dive on that. Over 6.5 million Americans' personal data was exposed also in this MoveIt hack, affecting residents of Louisiana and Oregon. The cyber attack targeted government agencies and global organizations, which we just talked about, with potential links to Russian ransomware group CLOP, which I don't think that's in question anymore. Detection-focused threat intelligence startup Silent Push launched with $10 million in seed funding, aiming to provide a comprehensive view of internet-facing infrastructure by mapping the entire web daily. I'm curious what opening they see in this market, given that Shodan expanse and census already there, and probably a bunch that I'm not even thinking of. Technology news. McKinsey says AI will massively boost productivity. So they don't lead with how many jobs will be lost. They lead with the productivity boost, which I think is interesting and also very true. So they say generative AI could unlock trillions of dollars in value and transform the nature of work, but it also represents new challenges that need to be addressed. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. So the bullets here are generative AI could add 2.6 trillion to a 4.4 trillion annually. So between 2.6 and $4.4 trillion annually across 63 use cases, increasing the impact of AI by 15 to 40%. About 75% of the value from generative AI use cases falls across four areas, customer operations, marketing and sales, software engineering, and R&D. Industries like banking, high-tech, and life sciences could see the biggest impact as a percentage of their revenues from generative AI. And again, this is all analysis from McKinsey, right? I mean, this they don't know for sure, but it seems like a really well-done report. Generative AI has the potential to change the anatomy of work, automating work activities that absorb 60 to 70% of employees' time today. And the pace of workforce transformation is likely to accelerate, uh, yeah, with half of today's work activities potentially automated 
between 2030 and 2060. Okay. Half potentially automated between 2030 and 2060. That seems so broad as to be almost useless, honestly. I would have preferred something more edgy and aggressive uh, because it's, it's not clear exactly what type of jobs they're talking about. Although there is more detail in the full report, which you can check out in the newsletter. Yeah, I just feel like they should be a little more aggressive and ambitious when they do prediction pieces like that. Um, Accenture jumps big into AI. So yeah, Accenture commits $3 billion to its AI and data practice, focusing on new hires, training, and acquisitions. Move highlights the growing importance of AI in various industries and raises questions about its impact on the job market. Absolutely. Meta introduces VoiceBox, a groundbreaking generative AI model for speech that generalizes across tasks with state-of-the-art performance. So it can synthesize speech in six languages, perform noise removal, content editing, style conversion, and diverse sample generation. It's based on flow matching, outperforming current state-of-the-art models like Valley and your TTS in terms of intelligibility and audio similarity. Potential use cases include in-context text-to-speech synthesis, cross-lingual style transfer, speech denoising and editing, and tons of uh, speech sampling. But because of misuse or potential misuse, they're not making VoiceBox model or code available publicly at this time. Is that really a release? Is it really an introduction if they don't release the model? And it says that they've also developed a highly effective classifier to distinguish between authentic speech and audio generated with VoiceBox. Uh, great, but they need to release that as well, right? So Meta also plans to make the next version of Llama, its open source LLM, commercially available despite lawyer uh, or lawmaker inquiries and a recent leak to 4chan. The move reaffirms uh, Meta's commitment to open source AI and its integration into products. And in my opinion, it's commitment to not letting AI take all the fun and the good press. A study found that GPT-4 generated pitch decks that were twice as convincing as human-made ones, with investors and business owners three times more likely to invest after reading an AI-generated pitch deck. Interesting study. The AI outperformed humans across finance, marketing, and tech industries in these pitch decks. Human News, a white supremacist participating in a scientific study took MDMA and subsequently questioned his extreme beliefs. Researchers are exploring the drug's potential to treat mental and physical illnesses and its ability to influence values and priorities. I personally cannot wait for MDMA to be combined with talk therapy to help with all sorts of these things. And you should really listen to the latest uh, episode about MDMA on Huberman Lab, uh, the podcast. It was fantastic. And uh, yeah, this is really interesting stuff. Um, 
I read the whole article here, uh, as I do with most of these and it looked like this person was already sort of questioning things a little bit. And this is something that Huberman talks about with MDMA. Um, well, specifically it's combination with talk therapy. It's not that MDMA solves everything by itself or that talk therapy solves everything by itself. It's that them used together. It really, really helps. It like magnifies the power of both of them. So, um, obviously him being a doctor, he's very clear. He's not clinical, but he is a doctor, <clears throat> excuse me. And he works at uh, Stanford. So he doesn't want to just recommend people go off and, and do MDMA, obviously. But he basically said that you want to combine these two to get the best effects. And obviously with supervision, all that sort of caveat stuff. All right, next one here. Americans are increasingly moving from blue states to red states, resulting in lower life expectancies due to factors such as cost of living, health conditions, and education levels. And to be clear, they're not saying as soon as you move, like you live less time. It's just that red states have a much lower life expectancy than blue states. I can't remember the number. It's, I mean, it might be as high as like five or 10 years. Last time I looked, it's startling. Yeah. And they put the, the factors as costs of living, health conditions, education levels, uh, basically different way of living, bad habits, diet, education, that kind of stuff. Fewer Americans find same-sex relations morally acceptable, dropping from 71% to 64%, while support for the death penalty increased slightly. The decline in acceptance is mainly due to fewer Republicans holding that view. In my mind, this is what happens when you have pressure applied, right? You are your best version of yourself when things are going well. And you have a pandemic and economic decline, and the world seems to be just going up in flames, and suddenly you start blaming things, uh, like same-sex relations um, and that sort of thing. So, and and criminals, which is why death penalty uh, support goes up. And this is just my conjecture. I I don't know that to be the case, but it seems super obvious to me, which uh, you can't always trust. So uh, I would say, think about this. Um, These things are going up and down respectively, uh, according to, you know, this is uh, from Gallup. But um, yeah, it seems obvious, like why that's happening. Uh, It seems associated with hard times. Ideas and analysis. So I am stunned that Google is getting rid of Google domains. I seriously cannot understand the strategy with them anymore. I feel like they've, they've lost their way and are listening to like anyone who claims to have a direction. But even then, I can't imagine this pitch being compelling in any way. It's like, hey, you know that thing, Google domains that, you know, it's the most trusted domain source like on the internet, maybe not the most possible, but it's the most trusted. Among those who know, everyone uses Google domains. And it's like, yeah, we should get rid of that. Like, why is that a compelling argument? How did this possibly work? And they sell it to like, I I forget, GoDaddy or somebody? No, no, it was Squarespace. They sold it to Squarespace, which I understand it. That's great for Squarespace. I mean, they're going to probably get a lot of business from it. That was a smart move on their part. But what is going on with Google? They should have a simple plan 
for the next couple of years. And I'm talking about Google here, which is one, find everything they're doing well that people actually like. And two, don't mess those things up and don't sell them. That might not be a strategy, but it's better than what they're doing now. I've never seen the innovator's dilemma more live and in color than what Google is currently doing to itself. Notes, I just appeared with Joseph Thacker, also known as Rizzo, on the Critical Thinking Podcast, which is like the number one hacking podcast right now. It's got two of the best hackers uh, in the world, in the bug bounty space, um, are running that show. And it is a fantastic podcast and uh, it should come out, I imagine, within a week or so. Maybe within a couple of days. I'm, I'm not really sure of the release schedule, but it was a really fun episode. It was all about AI and uh, hacking with AI and hacking AI itself. So great conversation you should check out. I'm going to be reading the new Rick Rubin book on creativity, and that could end up being a recommendation for the UL Book Club. And Lucifer is trying to lure me away from Vim with Vim Motions in Visual Studio Code, which everyone I know who is not using Vim is pretty much using VS Code. So this is a guide to using Vim Motions in Visual Studio for efficient navigation and editing, learn horizontal and vertical movements, search patterns, and combining counts with motions for greater effect. And to this I say, not today, Satan. Although I actually am going to install this, <clears throat> and I'm going to try out some of these Vim commands. I was thinking about doing this like a week ago anyway. I was like, hey, I should just dabble in it and mess with it. Then I was like, I do not need another religion in my life, also known as VS Code. I already have one religion, which is Vim. Well, I guess Apple a little bit, but Vim more so. So I didn't want to complicate things or cross the streams or whatever, but now they're talking about Vim inside of VS Code. I got to check it out. And it is nice to have a full ID as opposed to Vim, but I don't know. I feel like I should whip my own back Opus Day style for even talking like this. All right. So this week's newsletter, I've got some rich stuff embedded. Uh, if you've seen the newsletter, you know what I'm talking about. It's like rich HTML snippets of stories. I actually have all my own analysis, uh, some of which is assisted by AI as well, injected in there. So I'm not taking the analysis from the story or from the headline or from what the journalists um, put in there. I'm doing all my own snippets in there, uh, which I either freehand type or freehand type plus AI. And uh, it's really cool. I mean, it's got all the customization of what I normally do, but it looks super clean and the whole thing is clickable instead of just the more link. It, it's pretty cool. Uh, but at the same time, it, it doesn't have the minimalism because it's more rich text. Um, it's also kind of long and I'm getting a warning that uh, it's going to exceed the size limit of Gmail. And some people might not get the whole episode in email <clears throat> if they're using Gmail. So that's kind of annoying, but um, probably end up using some kind of hybrid here. We'll see. And thanks to all the members, <clears throat> excuse me, who are in the process of migrating your membership to the new Beehive platform. I know it's annoying, but I have a ton of inspiration coming because the new portal is like super clean. Everything loads way faster. I don't have all that cruft from the previous platform. So I'm super excited to be writing a bunch of new content for this. And uh, yeah, look forward to seeing you over in the new member portal. Discovery, Pentest GBT. 
A GPT-empowered penetration testing tool now supports installation via PIP and has an updated installation video. The tool automates the penetration testing process using ChatGPT, and it works way better than it should. This thing passes multiple challenges that like decent pen testers are supposed to be able to challenge. You can like give it a goal and it basically pursues that goal. Uh, it's quite amazing. One of the most, I guess, illustrative demos of advanced AI that I've seen because pen testing is so difficult and so complex. And so until now human required. Simon Farshid demonstrated using GPT-4's function calling feature to generate structured JSON for a recipe app. And it simplifies interaction between LLMs, reduces token usage, and lowers cognitive load on GPT, potentially increasing accuracy and en enabling LLMs as backends for various applications. So he was trying to get GPT to basically output proper JSON so he could use it for APIs. Pretty cool uh, write-up here. And Hugging Faces Open LLM Leaderboard. Got this link in here. It's it's a basically a giant leaderboard which moves up and down, you know, from time to time, like within the hour or the day. I'm not sure how often they update it, but it's very often. And it ranks and evaluates large language models and chatbots, allowing community submissions for automated evaluation. So you submit the model, it goes through this battery of tests, and it ranks it on the leaderboard. And currently, this uh, model called Falcon, which I'm about to start messing with, is ranked number one. And it's been number one for like a week since it came out. So I can't wait to mess with that one. Got another link here. Bruce Murray Laboratory for Planetary Visualization completed a 5.7 terapixel mosaic of Mars's surface covering 99.5% of the planet with 5.0 MPX resolution. I, I, I'm not sure exactly what MPX is. Um, oh, megapixel. Duh. Uh, the mosaic source from the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter's context camera is available for streaming and download. That is crazy. I got to get that. Recurring revenue for engineers. Speed run your favorite podcasts. Quick summaries of the top points. MVP senior programmers versus junior, junior programmers plus GPTs. That was really interesting. Uh, I'll let you guess who won that one. I don't trust Signal. This is not an argument that I'm making, but it is uh, an alternative opinion about Signal that uh, I thought was worth uh, posting. I can't stop thinking like an attacker and I'm okay with that. This is a little clip of me on the Security Weekly podcast I'm using about a potential tool, which is quite naughty. Uh, you should check out that little video. In praise of blowing up your life, is everyone becoming a product manager? Shuhari Really cool uh, story. It's my only fire icon for this episode. Get it done and the best teams I've ever worked with. And the recommendation of the week, life is so terrible and beautiful at the same time. This is an essay. Got the link here right in the newsletter. And the aphorism of the week, you can't use up creativity. The more you use, the more you have. You can't use up creativity. The more you use, the more you have. Maya Angelou. Unsupervised Learning is produced and edited by Daniel Meisler on a Neumann U87 AI microphone using Hindenburg. Intro and outro music is by Zombie with a Y. 
And to get the text and links from this episode, sign up for the newsletter version of the show at danielmiesler.com newsletter. We'll see you next time.